Worship team, wait just one second. Have you ever had a, a time where you just were, I mean, really hot day, really, and you just got in and you barely could make it to the next glass of water? You, they have been the water that we've needed for about seven years, so thanks, Allison. Okay. I was kind of like, I know it when I'll see, I, I, I'll know it when I see it, and uh, Allison, thank you. That was awesome, huh? Felt like kind of church. Felt like church a little bit. Felt like church a little bit. Well, she did such a beautiful job praying. I don't even know if I'm going to need to do much, but uh, I'll do a little shout out to Jesus this morning. Jesus, we need your help. We need your guidance. Lord, this is completely and utterly you. It's your word. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God and then John 1 14 and the word became flesh and dwelled among us Jesus you are the word when we're studying this we're not just studying the historical document Lord we're studying the very character the nature the plans the beauty of who you are Lord help us understand that this morning let us just get a glimpse of who you are just a glimpse. Lord, I'm convinced that everybody here can get a different view. We don't all have the same takeaway, but you can speak to each one of us individually this morning through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, has anybody been aware that when you look up on the mountains, it feels a little bit maybe like you should be skiing or you're in the Swiss Alps or something? Every time I... Because Laura and I, we live on the other side, more near where the property is, and you know, it's not really until you get all the way around, and sometimes my life contains me back there, and it's not till I actually come and head up Frank Sinatra, and then all of a sudden it hits me once I get to a certain point, and I go, where am I? Am I got an out-of-body experience here? What I want you to recognize is that the entirety of the beginning of this season uh, was them calling for a uh, La Nina, which meant an incredibly dry, eventless, you know, a little bit more, uh, more bodies were gonna surface from the mafia and the lakes and all that kind of thing, and Lake Mead and what all these things are happening. More boats were gonna emerge, who knows what, going down and down and down. And it just reminded me that, you know, we have not the even ability within just a few months to prognosticate about what may happen out uh, over, you know, somewhere out in the Pacific, these storms that will generate troughs and trends and all the different things and waters will get warmer or cooler. We've got, we've been, we've been at this for a while and we still can't tell you what's gonna happen a month from now as it relates to water. And yet we're gonna be looking at some things this morning that were prognosticated, prophesied, well, not even 100 years or 200 years or 500,000 years in advance with such precision that it'll boggle your mind. But we're gonna start with a, a story that I think many people through the years, if they've read it, and, and again, what we try to do here at CRD is dig in. Lord, speak to us. There's gotta be something. There's, there's more layers than maybe we first imagined that there might be in some of these stories and some of these parables. And, and so if we can dig deeply, we're gonna come out with something that's gonna say, that's gonna shake our world, it's gonna challenge us, 
but that's going to give us life. I mean, do you believe that? I mean, Jesus said, I came to give life, but even, even more abundant life than you can imagine. Now, that's either true or it's not true. Sometimes we think, well, you know, I, I like Jesus for these particular things in my life, but I think I might unfollow him in some of these areas. And yet he said the whole program, which he called the kingdom of God, the rule and the reign of God in the hearts and the lives of men and women, would in fact lead to life. That's either true or it's not true. So are you ready? Ex uh, Exodus. <laughs> I'm only off by about 1,500 years. Okay, Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17, verse 11. It's a story many of you may have heard before, and I think usually the takeaway is here is, hey, we should be thankful. We should go back and say, thanks, God. I mean, we really appreciate you acting in our lives. But I think we're missing something if we just see it. It certainly deals with gratitude, but it's so much more. The 10 leprous men. Verse 11, while Jesus, or he, was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. Okay, so he was up north. He was headed to Jerusalem on this journey. It would have been a multi-day walk for them. It's a, if you're in a big bus like I am when I'm in Israel, many of you have probably been with me to Israel, it doesn't take much, but it'll take you half an hour to get from kind of the Galilee area down to you know, wherever you need to get to. And then you go a little further south and you get to the Dead Sea, and that's usually the program we take. Now they would take that journey, and, but there's always this, and today it's the West Bank. Uh, well, we, and we hear a lot about that recently. If you pay any attention to your uh, television, lots going on in the West Bank. This Palestinian-Israeli conflict that's been, well, that's been going since really 1948 when Israel became a nation again. So that's where he was headed. He was between Samaria, modern day, and I'm, again, West Bank-ish today, and the very northern part where the Sea of Galilee is. As he entered a village, we're not told which one, 10 leprous men stood at a distance. Now, first of all, let's, well, why would they stand at a distance? Because they weren't allowed to not stand at a distance. They were leprous. They could stand together, but they were, well, they were relegated to a life of really a difficult place to be. They had to be, uh, stay away from folks. And anytime they would get close, leper, leper, leprosy, leprosy, or whatever they would cry out. What a horrible life. What a horrible life to feel that you're so distanced from all the rest of humanity. Now remember, they stood at a distance. This is gonna inform us in multiple ways of life in the 21st century. It is my contention that there are many men and women right here in this valley that feel, in fact, leprosy often is a picture figuratively of sin. Often we get that in the scriptures and they feel because of what they know goes on inside their minds and their hearts, they stay far away from anything that has to do with, well, what they would just maybe perceive as religion and then they will actively, because of something psychologists call cognitive dissonance, they will work, they will work actively to try and uh, distance themselves in other ways. They're not only physically distanced, but then they can even go into all kinds of camps. I'm an atheist, I don't believe in this, I don't like that, I don't like what happened on January 6th, because those were all Christians that came up and uh, you know, got against the Capitol, which is certainly not the case, but that's the narrative that's played out, and we see that over and over and over. People functionally feel distanced from God 
because they feel different things. Now, they may have lived in this world for so long that they don't even see the distinction. They just may say, well, there is no God because I've, well, I've just kind of always believed that. But a lot of times that starts because they feel alienated from whatever that divine mind might be out there. Well, they met him and they raised their voices and they said this, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now that's interesting to me because they at least see him as a master of some type. Now, would that be the master of the cosmos, the, uh, the very creator of all things? As Paul told the Colossians, all things have been created by him and for him and through him. Did, did they recognize him as that kind of master or maybe just kind of a, they had heard the stories about his healing power and he was maybe a, a pretty popular because crowds were following him. Who is this guy? Well, we'll call him master. And they'd heard that, you know, who knows? They had heard that he had healing power. So master, but did that really, did they really understand the full scope of who he was? I would have to say no, based on the rest of the story. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. In other words, there's always an action step with Jesus. A lot of times you can think, I'll just kind of stay from a distance, maybe give some mental assent to some kind of orthodox principle or some kind of something out there. But with Jesus, there's always something that's involved in belief. Go do something. And we even see that kind of thing in the Old Testament. Remember Naaman that came down and he said, go, you know, wash yourself seven different times in, in, the, in the Jordan. He was like, are you kidding me? I came all the way down here to bathe in that piddly little river creek bed thing down there. What is, are you kidding me? He was really offended, and, but he did and he was healed. Something similar to that is happening here. There's always an action step in your life. If you've been distanced from God, distanced from Jesus, and now there's, a, there's an action step, some step of faith that's necessary. And as they were going, as they were going, they were cleansed. Can you imagine that? I mean, let's just stop for a minute. Sometimes you read these stories. I mean, I get pretty exuberant when I maybe have, you know, I remember with my foot issue, you know, many of you know that. And sometimes they'd wheel me up here with a, in a wheelchair at various times. That was pretty, I don't know, I felt so, ugh. Not that I only feel bad. I felt embarrassed and everything else. And half the time I was on crutches and half the, you know, I was in the hospital and this and that. I just felt such, I don't know. But that was nothing compared to leprosy. I mean, try to get that in your head. I mean, at least I still had my family and they could hug me and I wasn't completely a complete outcast. And I know how I felt when I finally found a doctor who was able to kind of help me after a 15 year slow devolving of my total physical well-being. And I remember the feelings to this day, I get up and I just, sometimes I just have to just almost do a little, do a little jig. I mean, cause, because I can, I can use that foot, but that's nothing compared to leprosy, nothing. I mean, let's just try to get that in our heads here. Now one of them, one, one of 10, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back. He glorified God with a loud voice and, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks. Now I think if you remember the story, we're trying to recount it, you'd probably say he went back and said thank you. But there was more involved in here. 
First of all, he turned back from the rest of his guys. I mean, he wasn't even doing what Jesus told him, go show yourself to the priest. But he, they were cleansed on the way. I still wonder whether or not they got all the way to the priest. Did the other nine ever get all the way to the priest? I don't know. Because they were healed on the way. They got what they wanted. They came for a miracle. They came for something. They got what they wanted, and they probably just ran home. And, and I can't imagine what that would have looked like. But one came all the way back. Remember, just a few minutes before, he was standing at a distance. He didn't have to do that anymore. This is a picture of salvation of sorts, isn't it? He was cleansed. And he came back and he fell at his feet and he worshiped and he glorified God and he thanked him. I mean, there, there was a lot involved here. I mean, imagine, well, you'd, you'd be pretty, you'd kind of freak out if I got up here and just, you know, Allison is coming off and I fell at her feet and I began to, you know, that was incredible worship. Thank you. So I mean, fell at her feet. I mean, you say, that's a little, that's a little bit much, Jeff. I mean, come on. Was it? And then this amazing next statement, which is part of the story, it simply says, and he was a Samaritan. So not only was he an outcast because of his physical issues and was an outcast, and we don't know about the other, and I don't know if they were Samaritan. He points out that this guy was a Samaritan. Were they all Samaritans? Were nine of them? I think at that point, once you've got that kind of leprosy, it doesn't matter whether you're a Samaritan or a Jew or a Roman or anybody, you're gonna try to pool your collective here and try to have everybody together as much as you can because you got nobody else. I mean, your fingers are falling off. Your, your life is literally dissipating before your very eyes. You're looking for any kind of community. And the Bible simply says, and he was a Samaritan. I mean, is there something in your life where you feel so, you're a million miles away from God? And maybe even you've gone down this line of reasoning that there, there is no God. And you are also a porn addict, adulterer, murderer, thief. What would you throw in there? and a Samaritan, one of the ungodly, one of the, one of the real religious outcasts. We don't have anything to do. Jesus is really good at constantly telling, well, like parables like the good Samaritan. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, were, were there not 10 cleansed? You don't think Jesus knew that? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this super outcast? Not only did he have leprosy, he was a Samaritan. And they said to him, stand up. And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. How are you saved? Very simple. You're saved by grace, God's extension of mercy, through faith. We know that. There's nothing added to that. You are cleansed through the blood of Jesus. We'll see that at the end of the sermon today. We'll take communion. That's the blood. But then what happens? If you really fully understand, there is no way you don't turn around and go back and fall at the feet of Jesus. You know, I, my, my sense is, is that there are so many in this culture, even today, that will take this Bible and they have verses that they know. I was guilty of this. 
Well, maybe, you had, maybe you're having marital struggles and you need some marriage help. Maybe you have an addiction and you need a miracle. You need something, or as they say in Texas, a miracle, my dad would say. Uh, a miracle, you really need a miracle. You really do. I need me a miracle. And so what happens is that you come to Jesus for your miracle and you get it. And you don't distance yourself in terms of, you don't even, you're not even aware that you've distanced yourself, but you don't, you really are not at a place in your life yet where you could say you're following him. You got your miracle and then you unfollow Jesus. You got what you were looking for. You got your momentary, temporal, temporal miracle. Something was changed, something happened. You were, maybe even it's the idea that you don't fear death anymore because you got your heaven and hell, if it exists, thing kind of figured out. And you said some kind of prayer 20, 30 years ago, but you didn't really ever come back and fall at his feet and worship and glorify him. You weren't aware that you got your miracle and you unfollowed Jesus. Now, I want to go down, and I, I look, I, as I was working through this this week, Lord, speak to me. What are you trying to communicate? Why is this in the Bible? Just that we're supposed to thank you? You know, you can read this. I'll, I'm going to make sure and thank him. Thank you, Jesus, and then you fill in the blanks. Changing my life, making me not have a fear of death, securing my eternal future, giving me a community. I mean, there are all kinds of things. There's a million things you could thank him for, but you fall at his feet. You know, I think one of, the core value, one of the core values, one of the core values at Church at the Red Door is that we would look Jesus in the eyes and say, I want to learn to do life like you want me to do life. I want to learn what kingdom life looks like. I want to, as Jesus said, I, in, John, in the chapter of John, chapter 15, those who abide in my word, those who keep my commandments. He gives you, okay, these now are those who love me. And his commandments, they're not burdensome, but they are spirit-led. We're not, we're not bound by the legal law, as I was telling a group of men this week. I don't have to go back to Leviticus and see what happens when somebody falls into adultery and what size stone should I use outside in the parking lot to stone those people. We're not under the law anymore. We're under grace, but we're also not just under grace. Grace involves the spirit, we lead a spirit-led life. We expect the supernatural, but we also expect ongoing, daily, weekly, monthly, annually commands from Jesus to tell us how we should live. And how do we know that? We can't know that if we've unfollowed him. We have to be there at his feet, daily bread. Uh, we have to be in community. Jesus speaks to me through you. Jesus speaks to me, hopefully, to you through me at various points, through each other. We need this, this entirety of the, the concept of a community which we call church, the church. Jesus died to inaugurate the temple, which is people, living stones. And when we do that, we can hear his voice more clearly and we, well, we can follow him. We can truly follow the king of the universe. I did not understand why people are wired to get their miracle and then avoid contact. 
you know, I don't worry about, I don't worry about heaven and hell anymore. I, 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 look, I was at a Billy Graham uh, deal, you know, for 30, 40 years ago, and I was in that stadium, and I walked all the way down there, stepping on popcorn and almost slipped on some Coca-Cola, and got down there on the field, and they gave me a little booklet, and I did what I was supposed to do. And I said, I, they told me what to say, and I did it, and they sent me a little book after that, and I even read half of it. And, you know, it was amazing. It happened to me like 40 years ago. And I've never really worried about heaven and hell since then. But did you unfollow Jesus? Did you, did you choose not to go back now that you no longer had leprosy and that you could live in his presence and listen to his voice? What, what, would, it, what would that look like? That's the kingdom of God. That is the kingdom of God. So I'm gonna ask you a couple of questions. Why is it that we're wired to avoid contact? I think there are a number of things. First of all, we wanna control our own form of religion. We like to, in our fallen state, determine what we will do and what we won't do. How far we'll go and how far, well, we're not gonna go that far. We, we just, we, at, at a fundamental core level, we're afraid that if we really go and, and fall at his feet and listen for his voice, we're afraid he's gonna tell us to do something that we don't really wanna do. I just find that to be true. I mean, I just find that to be true. Paul told Timothy in his second letter to this young mentee that he had, he said, look, difficult times, they're definitely gonna come, Timothy. Second Timothy chapter three. Let me read verses one through five and also verse nine. It says, realize this, little brother, Timothy, the last days, difficult times are gonna come. Why, men are gonna be lovers of self and money and boastful and arrogant and revilers and disobedient and ungrateful, ungrateful. It's part of coming back and following Jesus, right? Unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. Okay, you're like, man, that's a list. But they're gonna hold to a form of godliness. Although they have denied its power, avoid people like that. Avoid unfollowers. If you're gonna hang with people, hang with the leper who went back and fell at his feet. Not just with somebody who holds to a form of godliness that they themselves have crafted. I, it's shocking to say, well, how do I know if I've crafted my own religion of sorts? Because I love Jesus, I think about Jesus. You know, I really do. I don't have any problem with Jesus. The, the question really comes, and Jesus made it clear. Those who are abiding in my word, these are my disciples. And a, a disciple's a follower. If you're, if you're digging out what we're doing, maybe you're asleep here this morning, or, or, but if you're thinking deeply about what Jesus is saying all the time, ready to act when he speaks to you, then you're a follower. Because all these other things and haters are good and treacherous and unloving and all this other kind of, that's just the world. But they hold to a form of godliness. You know, many of you know that this book had a profound impact on my life. My dear friend Bob Thompson is here and he went out and he scoured the internet. They don't even, it's not even in print anymore and he scoured the internet to try to find, he bought all these used ones and gave them all to me. There were like six in the world. I was like, 
This guy's from Seattle, and I still talk to Seattle people, and they go, we don't know who he is. This book had such a profound uh, impact on me early in my walk. I don't know where I got it. I don't know who gave it to me. I've talked to you about it before. It's simply called Follow Me. Pretty good. That's not an unfollower. That's a follower. And so I have in my possession these dog-eared, underlined, different ones, not only my copy that I probably gave out, and then somebody just kept it, under the spirit of Jesus, but follow me. Now, listen to what he says. This is just the human heart. The evidence is overwhelming that we live in a dangerous world because we have universally chosen to live for ourselves. What would happen in Russia, Ukraine? What would happen in China relationships? What would happen in Israeli-Palestinian relationships? What would happen and on Capitol Hill, what would happen, what would happen? You could just fill it in. All the division, all the chaos, all the stuff that goes on in the world. We have chosen to live for ourselves. We make choices based on what we think will be best for our own self-interest. If you're in it for your own self-interest all the way, you wouldn't even occur to you to turn around and go back and fall at Jesus' feet and thank him and worship him. It wouldn't even occur to you because your mind is on a different track. What the word does with me is it shakes me, it grabs me by the shoulders and kind of shakes me and said, snap out of it, boy, snap out of it. You're totally and irreconcilably, apart from me, devoted to your own self-interest. What are you doing? That's Jesus... That's how I hear Jesus' voice a lot. What are you doing in love? I feel that. When I read the Bible, I feel Jesus going, what are you doing? What will maximize my pleasure, my fun, my adventure, my satisfaction? What will make me look good? What will give me more control? Creating my own kind of Christianity will. What will give me more wealth, possessions, prominence, and in our determination to get what we want and think, well, and to think we need, we hurt and we take advantage of each other. And yes, this happens in the walls of the church as well. There's probably not a church you can go into in the world that doesn't have unfollowers circulating in and out. And they don't even know it because they said a prayer 30 years ago, or whatever it is. Earth's a bloody and violent place because we're proud, selfish egotists. Now that's pretty harsh. I was like, Jan, I don't know, Jan Heading. I don't know, that's pretty tough, but then you know what, I'm like, that kind of describes what's going on at least in my heart, at least at times. And I finally acquiesced with that kind of a truth Jesus made it even more simple. Why do you call me good? No man is good. They're all in it for themselves. But the Spirit can release you if you, well, but first you have to turn around. What it, the first thing he did, he turned back. <clears throat> fell at his feet, glorified him, thanked him. And I'll bet you that that was that Samaritan, former leper, that followed him for the rest of his life. I'll bet you that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look him up <laughs> when I get to the great city. You know, there were also many during the ministry of Jesus who simply came, I think, for the show, 
right? I mean, why do people, why do even people come near Jesus? Sometimes it's the show. But they were quick to unfollow him when it became clear that their reason for being there had been satisfied or the demands were too great or that they got confused rather and they didn't stick around and go deeper. They just abandoned ship. Now, James, listen to what John, excuse me, John said. This happened, and I, I talk about this a lot because it comes up a lot, and I'm teaching through the Gospel of uh, John often during the week. But we know this well. Then the Jews began to argue, verse, uh, uh, verse 52 of John 6, with one another. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus was talking about eating his flesh. So they were like, hey, we, we are in it for a miracle, and now he's talking about eating his flesh, really? Now, had they stuck around, he's not talking about cannibalism. Of course not. He's talking about taking in every word he said as if it was daily bread. And it's what he said. He says, I'm the manna. Earlier in John 6, he says, I'm the manna that comes down out of heaven, and you have to eat me. Not literally, of course. But they, they didn't know it because they didn't stick around long enough. You know how many people I meet? They said, I tried that religion thing. I have a, one guy, he's, he's passed away now. And I kept inviting him to things. I really had a passion for this guy. And he goes, I tried that once. I'm not into that anymore. I met another guy. Hey, why don't you come to one of our fellowship groups? I tried that. It didn't, I'm just telling you right now, they didn't stick around long enough. Maybe they got what they needed or got what they perceived that they needed that work into their own self-interest. And you can use Jesus for that purpose. But then they took off, but only one came back. Only one came back. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, we don't have any life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'm going to raise him up on the last day. My flesh, well, that's true food, and my blood is true drink. If you understand what we're doing today symbolically with communion, here it is. New covenant. You're atoned. You're, you, they were cleansed. They hadn't done anything other than, you know, Seek him out a little bit. But to eat his flesh, a lot of people are willing to drink his blood, but not many people eat his flesh, meaning go deep, stick around, hang in there. So I don't like what I heard, bad message. Well, you may come here and hear a bad message, hopefully not. But, you know, I'm not wasn't into that today, a lot of people. But remember, when I see the ministry of Jesus, he often cleared the room. You say the most successful church is always the church with the most people. Well, it might be, but it also very much might not be. It's hard to eat his flesh. It's hard to get go deep and because it feels like someone's looking at your soul. You know? And we don't always like our soul to be looked at. It's uncomfortable. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood will abide in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. And so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. You got to go deeper. But many didn't. And what happened? Well, these things he said in a synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard, they said, this is difficult, man, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to this? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled, said to them, does this cause you to stumble that this is difficult? 
What then if you see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, and the flesh profits nothing. The words I have spoken to you, well, they are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And as he was saying that, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. And then verse 66, as a result of this, and let me add parenthetically, not going deeper, not turning around and falling at his feet and glorifying him and worshiping him, as a result of that, many of his followers, disciples, that's what a disciple is, a follower, unfollowed him, withdrew, and were not walking with him anymore because they just got so far, but then they're like, that, that's just some really freaky teaching. I can't go there. That is, well, I'm going to go this far, but I'm not going to go crazy. That sounds like crazy business. And they left. I think we just sometimes love the world too much. That's what we saw in 2 Timothy 4. Verse 9 says, Make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, well, he deserted me. He unfollowed me. Now, this is Paul, not Jesus. But in following Paul, certainly in the early stages, was akin to following Jesus. Follow, you know, I mean, because... Paul had, Paul had been chosen by God to give insight into, well, to unpack the Old Testament. Prophecies really is all, all he did. And even Peter said, some of the things he says are really hard to understand. Peter said that in his second letter. Some of the things Paul's teaching are hard to understand. But Peter didn't say, we should unfollow him. What they did is they said, we've got to go deeper. There's more to this story than first meets the eye. I wonder how many people... Maybe you're watching on television this morning. All over the Coachella Valley, they have some, everybody has some kind of relationship with Jesus. He's a pretty interesting guy. I think he can, if he can help you with your life. I mean, I rarely meet somebody that goes, I hate Jesus. I despise him. I just rarely meet them. You have some opinion formulated regarding Jesus. My challenge to you today is to go deeper don't be surfacely don't unfollow him because it's hard to understand i look what's so difficult especially about teaching the word is that take it let's take a fellowship group and i and i've done this with men and women but mostly men uh through the years the last multiple decades you sit down and you got a group maybe you have a group of 30 men in the room and you know that some don't believe at all you know that some are just kicking the tires, some are believing but they're brand new, and then others may be walking with him for 50 years in a very significant way. How do you, and then you get somebody new and you go, well, now we have to go back and start all over again. Start from the beginning. How, why is it so important to start from the beginning with somebody? Because if you, a lot of times you're teaching here and then all of a sudden you're saying something and somebody's been following him for 50 years like, oh, I've never really seen that in the scripture. That's pretty cool. And all the, all the new infant person doing over here is just going pew, 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 like the matrix and they're, they're dodging it like, you know, like those bullets, you know. And, and I was like, my God, I have no idea what he's talking about. It's so hard to both speak to somebody who's been following him for 50 years 
and barely just is just stuck his toe in. It's so hard to do, and yet that's our task as the church. Maybe you're here, and you know nothing. Hang in there. I didn't understand anything he was talking about. Hang in there. What Jesus just said doesn't make any sense to me. Hang in there. Fall at his feet. Stay there. And when he moves, you move. He was the cloud by day. He was the fire by night. When that cloud moves, pack up camp, you move. When that fire by night begins to shift and move that way, you pack up your stuff. You don't turn around and look. You follow him. If you want life. If you want life. I, and, and lastly, I just think we don't understand People just don't understand. Why? Because I don't eat his flesh. Church at the Red Door will always be a content-driven church. I'm never going to preach for 20 minutes. And everybody said, oh. <laughs> I can't do it in 20 minutes. You know, I can't do an introduction in 20 minutes. This is usually 45 to 50 minutes. That's what you're going to get on Sunday. But this is, not, this is not your only eating. I want you to eat every day. Be involved in a group, be involved in Rooted, be involved in a discipleship group, be involved in a fellowship group. Do your own study. Eat his flesh. Give us this day our daily flesh. Bread, manna, hang in there, stick it out. Because you know what? You'll start understanding things that you didn't understand a year ago, five years. Anybody had that experience? Five years ago, you didn't understand it, but you're starting to understand. Raise your hand if you've had that kind of linear progression. Look around you. About half of you are telling the truth. It's amazing, it's amazing. <laughs> so, now catch this, now get this. All these lepers, all of them called him master, right? But again, let's revisit that one turned back, one worshiped, one fell at his feet, one thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Now here's the question, is it even possible to come close? I mean, we have to answer that question. Because some of you are still thinking, you know, I'm a raging alcoholic. I mean, there might be somebody watching here that slept with somebody that you didn't know last night, and you don't even know their name. And you're, you, might be, you might be flipping through the station, and you come across this, and you're, and you're like, ah, I can't go. I, I, I can't get close to that guy. Well, yes and no. First, the no. I'm going to take you back to Exodus chapter 19. God says, you don't understand how holy I am. Moses, you, you, you set up some boundaries here. So he was on Mount Sinai. If you remember, they came out of Egypt. They went, through the, they went through the Red Sea, which is a picture of their baptism of sorts. Then they went into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, they go to Mount Sinai. And on Mount Sinai, what happened? God comes down, peals of thunder, flashing, you know. And God says, Moses, who is a, figuratively a type of Jesus, leading them out of Egypt, etc. We talk about that a lot in here because it's a, one of the major patterns in Scripture. And God says, be careful. Verse 12 of Exodus 19, you shall set bounds for the people all around saying, beware that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain will be put to death. Can you come close? No. Because Mount Sinai represented, well, what? The law, the Sinai covenant or the Mosaic covenant. Law-based stuff, you better not touch the mountain. 
No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned and shot through. Whether beast or man, he will not live. And when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they should come up to the mountain. Hebrews 12, verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness, and gloom, and whirlwind, and to the blast of the trumpet, and the sound of the words, which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word would be spoken to them when they got even near God in their leprous state. Anybody, relatively speaking, righteous or unrighteous. Now this is, but this is New Testament. And this is still a no. He's quoting Exodus 19. So terrible was the sight that Moses said, I'm full of fear and trembling. <clears throat> but you have now come to Mount Zion into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, into myriads of angels, into the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Now he's talking about the, now he's talking about the church age. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous men made perfect, and to Jesus. Oh, thank God Jesus comes on the scene. The answer's no until the blood. Under the law, under you being a good guy or good gal, or relatively speaking, you know, you, you perceive yourself to be reasonably good. Well, up until now, it's still no. But we have a mediator. What's a mediator? Someone who comes and well, in between two parties, we have the mediator, what? Of a new covenant. <clears throat> it's a new deal. The answer is about to be yes through the mediator. And to the sprinkled blood. Well, there you have the blood again. You must drink my blood. So you do. To come close, you got to have the blood. You can't just start eating. At some point, you have to apply the blood of Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. And it speaks a lot better than the blood of Abel. What did the blood of Abel cry out for? Vengeance, justice, righteousness. Do you want, I ask people all the time, do you really want justice? The last thing I want in the world is justice. I'll go for mercy and grace. And it's given to you, but only, it's only given to you at one place in the entire cosmos, two trillion galaxies expanding still for 15 billion years, expanding at light speed. <laughs> galaxy after galaxy, trillions of galaxies. There's only one place in the entire universe. Only one door. It's a red door. That's why we're called Church of the Red Door. There's only one place and it's at the foot of the cross. That's it according to Jesus. Or, that's difficult to understand. What about all my good friends? What about other religions? What about, look, I understand. But I, I will not unfollow Jesus because it always doesn't make sense in my mind. I found life in Jesus, not in my own construct. Because that's what Jesus said. And I choose to follow Jesus. We're closing with these last two passages. <clears throat> because you've got to understand that, three passages. <laughs> there's a yes. And we've got a touch of it right at the end of Hebrews 9. 
But Ephesians 2, remember that you were at that time, verse 12, Ephesians 2, 12, at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having, having no hope. Those lepers had no hope. And without God, they couldn't come close. Strangers to the covenants, no promise, no, no nothing, no hope without God. Well, we're all Samaritans in a way, and they were Samaritans, outcasts. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near. Yes and no. No at Mount Sinai, you're gonna do it your own way. You're gonna be a good person. Yes, yes, absolute yes at the foot of the cross, right? Brought near by your best effort. That's not what the Bible says. By the blood of Christ. How are you brought near? How, can you come near? Can you come, turn back and fall at his feet and come close as a leper? No, yes, at the foot of the cross. The most glorifying thing we can do at a certain point is to expand this then called out people. Once we've fallen at his feet and worshiped, if you really wanna follow Jesus, you're gonna begin to share his passion. Do you understand that? If you get nothing else from this morning, I hope you get a lot, but if you get nothing else, to follow Jesus is to share the passion of Jesus. And what is Jesus' passion? To love the world and give his life and then communicate that to the people who don't know it. Now what's fascinating, unlike our meteorologist who can't figure out whether we're gonna have a dry or a wet winter, do we have any meteorologists in the house? I don't wanna, I may have lost, somebody may have just unfollowed me. <clears throat> Zechariah 6, now Zechariah, they're rebuilding the temple, this is, you know, a little over 500 years before the time of Jesus. Listen to what Zechariah says in verse 12. Now this may seem a little bit of a roundabout way, but don't miss this, quoting Pastor Paul. Then say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold a man whose name is Branch. So Zechariah is looking almost 600 years into the future. And what he's seeing is he's seeing there's a man coming and his name is gonna be called Branch. That's strange. And he's going to branch out from where he is. Where is he? His last, well, he had a few days after the resurrection, about 40, and then he ascended. But basically, I think he's seeing the branch planted, as we see in other prophets, up on a place called Golgotha. And that was planted in his blood, but he wants it to spread out. They don't want you just to have your own privatized religion. If you're going to follow Jesus, you must share the passion of Jesus. What is the passion of the branch? Zechariah is seeing it 600 years. And he will build the temple of the Lord. Literal temple with literal stones? No, he's going to build the kingdom of heaven with living stones. People. Yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he will bear the honor and sit on and rule on his throne, he's doing that already. He can, you can do that in your life today. You can say, I'm gonna live under the rule of God. I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow Jesus, not unfollow Jesus. 
you become part of the temple and therefore it's spreading out. The branch is spreading out. Thus he will be a priest on his throne and the council of peace will between the two offices. Now verse 15, what will happen when that happens? Lepers who had to stand at a distance, figuratively speaking, and literally during the time of Jesus, those who are far off, standing at a distance. Who do you play golf with? Who do you do business with? Who do you have dinner with that is standing far off? Do you care? Well, you know, I don't want to get into something that's going to offend somebody. Why not? Will they feel that way at the end of their lives as they stand before the creator of the universe? You know, I realize I'm going to be spending eternity separated from the lover of my soul, but at least I wasn't offended at dinner on, you know, back in 2023. You think that'll be, or it's, or it's none of it's true. I mean, I just hope we get that, right? Those who are far off will come and they will also build the temple of the Lord. That's what our whole life, our, Lord's in my, our entire life is built on the intention to do that. We don't do it perfectly, but our intention is to do that. And you will know the Lord of hosts has sent me and it will take place if you completely obey. That's fascinating to me. Branch, temple, growth, those who are standing at a distance, those who are far, far away, they're gonna come. You know, a number of you were around. I know we've had some turnover and COVID was all, you know, our church totally changed. The dynamics of our church changed in many ways, but the culture didn't change. But way back in the day, Constance Best did a great job and we did that Feel the Dreams. Who, raise your hand if you were part of that, right? So there were some of you here. Remember that? I mean, I just got so much, I said, that's a parable. That's a modern day parable in my view. So we went and rented out a big theater, had about 250 seats. And we played it, and I said, but I need to stop it every few minutes, every 10 minutes. I stopped about four times, not the whole time. But, and I would explain how this is a parable. But at the end, they built the field of dreams, which in my view, parabolically, was a picture of the kingdom of God. And then you looked out, and what was the last scene? It was darkening. They kept the field in Iowa. Sad bags, right? With an Iowa field there, and it was getting dark, and the lights came on. Picture Christ. I mean, you say, Jeff, come on, I mean, bear with me. So there's lights in this field as it's getting dark. And then there's a, there's a serpentine all the way back and you can see all the people streaming toward that field. Do you remember the movie? If you haven't seen it, wait, we'll do it again. Should we do it again? We should do that again because that was powerful if I do say so myself. <laughs> <clears throat> Lastly, uh, when, we, when we fall on our face, it changes everything. When we're, when we're grateful, it changes everything. So I wanna link in the end, I wanna link Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. I wanna link gratitude with actually doing something. Is this, is this story about the 10 lepers just a story about thankfulness? It involves gratitude, but I think there's so much more here. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, there's no putting this down. This is set in stone. 
You cannot shake the kingdom of God. The world will be shaken to its core. I think many of us in this culture and day feel that, don't we? But we receive one. Let us show gratitude to Jesus because we are a part of an unshakable temple, kingdom, baseball field out in the middle of corn with lights and manna and blood and all. I mean, understand the symbols. By which we may, how do we show gratitude? By which may, we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. See what I see here? How do you, if you want to be grateful, do exactly what the leprous guy did. It wasn't just come back. It wasn't walk, walk back and say, hey, Jesus, hey, thanks a lot. And then run. You give your body a living sacrifice. Randy alluded to it in the beginning. Reverence and awe, glory, worship. Are you with me? That's what real gratitude looks like. All right, that's all I got. Uh, <clears throat> so have you unfollowed Jesus and not even known it? Are you willing to eat his flesh even when you don't understand it? Are you willing to hang in there? Are you willing to stick it out? Are you willing to build his temple so that those who are far off might come near? Are you willing to take such a narrow position that the only way to the Father is through the Son and his blood? Are you willing to live that kind of a lifestyle under those parameters? Or will you create your own religion and call it whatever you want to call it? You can call it Christianity. You can call it whatever you want. I choose, I do not want to unfollow Jesus. And maybe that's the same with you. Tell him, Jesus, I've unfollowed you and I didn't even realize it. I'm doing my own thing. And it's evident because I'm not eating your flesh. I choose to follow you. Amen. Thank you.